Well, many of you know I have a couple brand new grandchildren, and so uh, there's a big contest to see what our oldest grandson can say first, Mama or Dada. I'm voting for Grandpa. <laughs> Isn't it amazing, though, that uh, probably one of the first words that any of us ever say is Mama, Mama. And what a precious sound of mother, what a precious sound of family to see that little precious gift from God begin speaking. You can't wait till they recognize you, and you can't wait till they have something to call you. And no matter what it is, I've told my children, in fact, uh, Amy, for a long time before our first one was born, wanted to talk about, you know, what, what should we, what should I have my little grandson call me? And so she went through all kinds of names, and uh, Nana and Poo Poo, no, that didn't work. But uh, she finally figured out Grammy, and, and so then they looked at me and said, what do you want them to call you? And I said, sir. And, uh, <laughs> No, I'm just thankful that he, uh, he calls me anything, and he, he recognizes me now, so it's, it's precious. But uh, for thousands and thousands of years, since the beginning of time, probably some of the first words that any child ever said was mama. How appropriate we think about that today. And, you know, it's, it, it tugs at our heart, too, when you hear that word, mother and mom. It uh, tugs at our heart of uh, preciousness, of deep, deep feelings and emotions, respect, love gratitude for them giving up their life for us. And, you know, we gather today here as a nation and stop and remember mothers. And what a fitting thing to do. You know, I believe uh, every day is a kid's day, but I think every day should be Mother's Day too. We owe them a great, great debt of gratitude. I have a great mom in my opinion. I think most of us do and most of us can say that. And I want to show you, you've already seen up there a picture of my mom. That was about two weeks ago. She's 90 years old. And uh, God has blessed her with great health. She lost her mate of 63 years about two years ago, as you know, as well. But uh, I can remember growing up in my home and seeing my mom probably every single day reading her Bible. Many times when I first got up in the morning, she was sitting at the kitchen table reading her Bible. Sometimes at night she'd read it again. I remember her gathering with ladies, and she was very involved in women's ministries, and they'd be over at her house and having a meal or tea or uh, when I was real young, having them in the, in the home during the day there. And uh, I can also remember my mother never had a mean thought about anybody. I've never heard her say a mean word. Even when I'd say, this person's really a jerk. No, he's a good person. Maybe he's just acting wrong today. You know, she, she always said, what I saw in my mother, you know what I saw in my mother. I saw God. I saw the same thing in my father. But what a privilege that we that have had Christian parents and moms that raised us in the nurture and the admonition of Jesus Christ to realize that we are who we are today in large part, just like that little video showed us, by the influence of our mothers and our fathers. The scripture I picked out today is probably not as well known as some of the other scriptures you've heard before, but uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me, if you will, to Second Kings verse, uh, chapter 4. 2 Kings verse 4. And um, this is a story where God has identified a woman as a great woman. A great woman. You know, it begs the question, he nerves in my life, what would be the characteristics of that woman that God would say she was a great woman? We're going to look at just a couple of those characteristics. There's a number of them that would point out that, would, uh, that we could see there as we unpack the scripture. But uh, uh, the woman herself was never identified by name. She's identified by where she was from. She was from a place called Shunem. Shunem was uh, located in a, in a tribe called Ishkar. It was the tri- Ishkar was one of the sons of of um, Jacob, 
And um, it, when they divide the, the, divide the property up, the territory up, when Joshua crossed in the Promised Land, that was where it was. But this property is just a little bit south of the Sea of Galilee, those of you that are familiar there. But Shunem also means in the Hebrew, unknown. So I think it's kind of funny. We don't know her name. And if you were to meet her today and ask her where you're from, she'd say, unknown, Shunem. And so we don't know a whole lot about her, but you know what we know is what God saw. God saw in her several things we'll look at here in just a second. But if you found your way this morning to 2 Kings chapter 4, stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. It says, beginning at verse 8, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. Now it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a great woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God. Remember that thought who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room in the wall and let us put a bed for him up there and a table and a chair with a lampstand so it will be when he comes to see us that he can turn in there. And it happened one day that he came there and he turned into the upper room and laid down there. Then he said to Gezi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. When he called her, she stood before him. And he said to her, uh, he said to him, say now to her, look, you've been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Elisha wanted to pay back this woman, give her something for her benevolent care. Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. She's saying, no, I'm good to go. So he said, what then is it to be done for her? And then Gezi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So Elisha said, call her. And when, she, when he called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, oh, no, my Lord, man of God. Do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, which, of which Elijah had told her. And the child grew, and now it happened one day that he went out to his father's, to the reapers. And he said to his father, My head, my head. So he said to the servant, Carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on his knees till noon, and then he died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him, and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys. Then I might run to the man of God and come back. So he said, Why are you going to him today? It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, speak to our hearts today. Father, as we might see, Lord, what represents great from your perspective. Father, we love you. We thank you once again for first loving us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we unpack this story today, I believe there's going to be three qualities that kind of stand out this morning. This lady had compassion for others. This lady had contentment with the provisions that God had supplied her. And finally, she had confidence in God, in the power of God. As we think about compassion for others, it's kind of notable there in verse 8 when it says that Elijah came and she fed him and then she told her husband, why don't we prepare a place for him to stay? It's a compassion Defined biblically as a desire to help somebody. When we have compassion, it's kind of a meeting between the idea of sympathy and empathy. I feel for this person, but I also want to do something. I want to do something to help this person. Compassion will motivate somebody to do whatever they can to help somebody else out. When we have compassion, we want to help somebody. As we see, this lady had that. This lady had great reputation that she'd written about a couple other places in the Bible. and It says in the Holy Word that she was kind. She was respectful, she was generous, she was giving. 
You know what made her great, though? It was her spiritual perception. Well, how do you say that, Pastor? You know, she was probably living a busy life like most people at that time. But you know what? She realized that there was a man of God walking by her house. She realized that when she fed Elijah, that a man of God was sitting at her dinner table. She wanted to be close to the man of God. In essence, she was saying, I want to be, close. I want to be closer to God. How do I do that? By having this man of God in my house. How many other homes you imagine that Elisha had walked by before he found this home on the Shudamite woman? The essence of compassion here is that this Shunammite woman wanted to make room in her home for God. Think about that. Compassionate? Is there any more compassion we can have to help our families, help our spouses, help our marriages, help our life than have God in our home? She wanted to help other people. She was compassionate. This lady's life was never going to be the same after she invited Elisha, the man of God, into her home. Listen very carefully. Our life will never be the same either when we invite God to take up residence in our home. You know, the story tells us that in between Elisha coming and going through this town, Shunem, that she sat down and talked to her husband. She said, uh, I want to prepare a room for him. And as the dialogue goes on, I'm sure she's saying, you know, I missed him last time, but I'm not going to miss him this time. You know, I'm going to make a room for him. I'm making room for this man of God in our house. I'm going to clear out the clutter in my life so I can make room for the God in my life. You know, she's even going to tell her neighbors, listen, we're going to do a little construction around here because I'm making room for God to move in, for this man of God to move into my house. I've got to move some things around my life. I've got to get some priorities straightened out in my life to invite God in to my home. You know, the excuses got to go. There's no more excuses. I want God to take a residence in this house in the form of Elijah. I'm going to throw out all those old movies. I'm going to throw out all that music that's not edifying. I might even have to cut some friends loose because above all else, I want God to move into my house. I want to have a house where God is welcome. I want to have a a house where God feels comfortable. I want to have a house where people walk into my house and they realize that God lives here too. Thinking about young families and i got a couple of my own. I love it when I see them go out and buy scriptures and put on their wall. What does that say to me when I walk in the house and see that? I mean, that, that must mean something to them. You think about pictures. They mean a lot to us, don't they? When people come into your house, they realize that this house belongs to God because He lives there too. It doesn't just have to do with pictures on the wall. It has to do with the spirit in that house. It has to do with the culture in that house. It has to do with everything that's going on inside that house. The question for you and I today, just like this Shunammite woman, am I making room for God in my house? Do I have that level of compassion? Because I want to do something to help people. I want to do something. I want you to think about this. As I think about these precious little children here today, I don't know if you pondered their lifespan. When these little children we just saw in front of us here a few moments ago reach retirement age, you know how, how, what year it's going to be? Somewhere between 2070 and 2080. Can you imagine what the world is going to look like then? Can you imagine? Think about the technology. First of all, these kids are going to have to be smart. They're already smarter than me, way smarter than me as far as the technology. They're going to have to be pretty smart. But I can't even begin to imagine what kind of culture they're going to be living in. I'm praying that we'd see a revival in America and our nation would be stronger in 2070 or 2080 today for the Lord than it is today. It's not real strong today. There's remnants. There's great church people. But as a nation, we're kind of turned our back on God, just like the nation of Israel. 
But I don't know if you're part of that. That kind of astounds me. I can't even begin to imagine what it's going to look like that. Friend, there's a couple of questions here today thinking about compassion in our lives. Have we made room for God in our home? God only lives where he's welcome. God only stays there. The Shunammite woman also realized that her home was going to be empty without God living there. The second thing we see here, the second great quality I believe that God wants to see, this woman had contentment. She was content. We just read the scripture said that uh, Elijah, who had all kinds of possibilities, he's a man of God, he could have done a great thing in her life. said, what can I do for you? How can I repay you for what you've done for me? She said, I'm fine. I live here. I'm good to go. We also come to realize that she had accepted her childlessness. And as you know, in the nation of Israel, that was uh, really a, a shame upon a woman not to have children. They were looked down upon. They, they were looked at as that they'd some, done something wrong where God would not allow them to have children. She realized she was never going to be a mother. Do you know what was amazing about her? She'd accepted those circumstances. I want you to hear this this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I'm not sure what you've been through. Maybe what you're sitting in right now. But your circumstances in life do not define who you are any more than your job does. That's what you do. That's what you have to endure. That's what you need to go through. But we're defined by who you are in God. This woman realized that. She realized that there's a God in heaven and he loves me. And then when she saw this man of God, her spiritual perception let her see that this was a man of God. She wanted to invite him in. So why? So she could grow closer to God. He represented God in her life. How did she deal with her circumstances? This Shunammite woman found meaning in something else. She wasn't focused on this fact. She was focused on something else. You know what it was? It was something above. She'd set her affections on heaven. She'd set her life and her ambitions and her, her whole being on something that was way beyond this world. It was God. She set her affections on God. Scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 6 that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Apostle Paul goes on a couple of verses later and says, you can be content if you have food and clothing. He doesn't even mention housing. You can be content with these basic issues. If you have food and you have clothing, you can be content. But what's going to give you true contentment is God. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I think those of us that have been Christians for a while realize there's no contentment outside God. God is the one that gives true contentment. This woman had contentment because she realized there was a God in heaven that loved her. God is a source of true contentment. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have an all-sufficiency and all things may have an abundance for every good work. When we set our affections on God, you know what he does? He fills us up. When we put God first in our life, you know what he fills us up. I had the privilege of going to Chester Hunter Sunday School class this morning, talking about Ephesians, talking about the essence of God's riches in our life through marriage. God has this incredible basket, this incredible bank of treasures he wants to give to you and I through Jesus Christ. And it comes when we set our affections on him and not on this thing. Are we looking up, not sideways? We're not allowing the, the circumstances of life to define who we are. This woman had great contentment. 
You know, there's two types of people in the world. We had the uh, former NFL quarterback Jeff Kemp here about a year ago, year and a half ago. And he spoke about being an investor or a consumer. I believe with all my heart that mothers are chairman of the board of investors. You think about that for a second. They invest and they invest. I don't believe there's a harder job in the world than taking care of children. We've lived kind of vicariously through it with our daughter. Up all night, up all day, sleep deprivation. I mean, it's amazing. I know these mothers here have experienced many of that same things. But it's a labor of love. It's being an investor. I want you to listen to this. A number of years ago, the, a U.S.-based company posted a classified ad in USA Today for an operations manager. This is what they put down in the job description. 135-plus hours per week. No breaks. Preferred degrees, medicine, finance, culinary arts, and education. It also goes on to say that there's no vacations. And the workload increases during the holiday seasons. And then it added this final little thought. There's also no pay. You know, they said that 2.7 million people saw that ad. Only 24 people responded. You know what the response was? This is inhumane. This is insanity. Who would have a job like this? You know, they finally come out. Life, they, the company finally posted. This is a mom. They did it on Mother's Day. But think about that. Think about the job of being a mother. I don't know if you've ever pondered this, and I do it all the time, and I think my precious bride, but I grew up with the same thing. Think about the operation of the home. Most of us guys and most kids. Mom, my light bulb burned out. you have a light bulb? Yeah, it's underneath the counter. Mom, there's no toilet paper. Where's it at? It's in the closet, son. Go get it. Mom, where's the laundry soap? It's back over here in the shelf. Who does all that stuff behind the scenes? Who staffs and who stocks the cabinets and who takes care of it? I mean... I'm here to tell you, most of us take it for granted. Honey, are there any more light bulbs? Yeah, they're the sink. I didn't buy the light bulbs. Who bought the light bulbs? Mom did. You know, the ladies in our life take care of those things. But think about the incredible giftedness our moms have. Think about all the many things that only they and God know they do. We have an incredible opportunity here to bless our mothers today. I'm so thankful for that. You know, when we talk about military people, when we talk about police officers, and rightfully so, we many times quote John 15, verse 13. It says, No greater love than this, than one would lay down their life for another. And it's so appropriate talking about police officers and men and women that stand in the gap for you and I between the, uh, the, the world of chaos, as Pastor Gary mentioned a minute ago. But you know what? I believe that verse speaks to our moms as well. No greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for another. I believe every single mother, definitely sitting in this room, has given their life to their children. They've dedicated their life to raising them, to be in their form, to get up in the middle of the night when they're sick or when they hurt themselves. And I remember playing football back when I was in high school and got knocked unconscious. And they took me to the hospital. Didn't wake up till I got to the hospital, but when I woke up, you know who was standing there? My mom. How did you get to the hospital? Where am I? <laughs> no idea. She was there, though. A great woman's compassionate. A great woman is content. A great woman has confidence in the power of God. Look at verse 19. It says, And he said to his father, this is when his son had gotten sick, My head, my head. So he said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. What a beautiful thought. Here's the dad out in the fields working, and his, his son gets sick, and what does he say? Take him to his mother. Carry him to his mother. Why? Because he knew his mother was a great 
woman. It's sad, the story goes on though and says that he died. You know, one, one moment it's the brightest day ever. The next moment it's the darkest day ever. The child, the promise, the child that Elisha had said, I'm going to give to you. She realized it was a miracle. She was too old to have babies. Her husband was too old to have babies. He said, you're going to have a baby a year from now. And she had it. She realized it was a miracle. Do you know what the Shunammite woman realized? She realized God did that miracle. And she's probably thinking, if God gave me one miracle, why wouldn't he give me a second miracle and bring my son back? When God moves, every day is a miracle. When we have confidence in the power of God, you know what? We believe in miracles too. Every single day is a miracle. It's a miracle that we drove in this morning and got here safely. It's a miracle that our children are safe today. It's a miracle that we get to drive home this afternoon and be here today. It's a miracle that the sun came up this morning. Every day is a miracle. It's a matter of realizing God's hand on his creation. She realized the power of God. Power had a great way of showing up in her life. If you were to read the rest of the story, we're not going to take a whole lot of time right now to do that. But in faith, this Shunammite woman made no preparations for death. She didn't. She carried the little boy up to Elijah's bed in the room that they'd made for him. Elijah had his own room in that house. She carried the little boy up there. And then she sent a servant to go get Elijah. She was making no preparations for death and for burial. You know what she was making preparations for? Resurrection. She laid him in Elijah's bed, in Elijah's room, and called for Elijah. I want you to do something beautiful here. It's what they call Christology. It's a magnificent picture of Jesus Christ. Elisha represents Jesus Christ, and that room represents the tomb, okay? That little boy was laid in the tomb. Elijah came along with the power of God and raised that little boy up. The last verse, verse 37 Chapter 4 says, So she went in and fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then her son, then she picked up her son and went out. Elisha raised that little boy from death. This woman had compassion. She desired to bless her family by asking God and making room for God in her house. She had contentment for their lot in life because she set her affections on heaven. And she had confidence in the power of God. She trusted God for miracles. We're talking here about resurrection power. I'm going to conclude with this little story. Appropriate probably for our children today and moms and dads. A little story about a father that made his son a little sandbox. And the father was very proud of it. He built a nice frame and then he got some nice clean sand and poured it in there and took his little boy out there and bought him some toys. So the boy's out there playing in the sand and, and uh, digging around and just having a great old time and the parents sitting back there watching the little boy and just enjoying the time and father enjoying the fruits of his labor there as the little boy enjoying it. And all of a sudden, the little boy digging down a little bit and came across a good-sized boulder. And so he begins moving around the boulder there and digging around the boulder and decided he wanted to get the boulder out of his sandbox. And so he keeps digging and digging and digging and Went out and he comes trying to edge it over. He can't really move it, and it's really stuck there. So he worked and worked and worked, and finally came over to his dad and said, Dad, I got a boulder in my sandbox, and there's no way to get it out. I can't get it out. 
the father looked at his son and said, did you use all your power? The little boy said, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Well, he looks at the little boy and says, you didn't use all your power. You didn't come get your father and ask him what I can do. I'll be happy to help you get that boulder out of the sandbox, son. When we think about walking with the Lord, when we're thinking about how do I make it through this life, how do I raise my children, God's up there waiting to help us move those boulders. He's up there waiting to help us kind of negotiate the obstacles that get put in our path. You know, when we do things in our own power, that's one thing, but when we begin setting our affections on God and realizing there's a whole other power source I have here, I don't need to walk through this world and walk through this life without God's power because i got a Father in Heaven that loves me so much that all I need to do is ask. All I need to do is have this relationship with Him and God's going to show me great, great 